Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, we have another beautiful fall week here. Um, you know, a little bit going on. Still football season. Uh, not too much to crow about here on the on the Clemson sidelines for for people like me. But no. uh, but uh, but hey, Georgia's doing fantastic, and and they're playing Tennessee this week. So should be a good game. It should be a really good game. And um, so yeah, but just an, just another beautiful week. You know, the weather's been fantastic. It has been getting into holiday season. This is uh, just a fun time of year for a lot of people. It is. As well. It is. It is. Yeah, we're looking forward to Thanksgiving. You know, we got some plans, and as I'm some sure food. everybody does. So mm. uh, so we'll be talking about some of that. You know, and, and speaking of you know great topics to talk about, we have a couple good topics here. We're going to talk about does having more money increase happiness. Mm. You know, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of research in this. This comes from an article from Avantis Investors. And so, um, you know, it's kind of this age-old question of, you know, does it really increase happiness? And if so, how, to, how, do, you, uh, how do you improve that? And um, so, yeah, we're going to dig into that a little bit. And it's a great topic. And then we're going to follow that up with, um, you know, topics for Thanksgiving. Yeah, and this topic is really interesting. You know, what do you talk about around the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> there can be some touchy subjects, but there can also be some really good uh, topics that can really, you can get to know your family better. And so we have five topics around financial planning that may be interesting to bring up this year. Yeah, very timely. I love that. Yeah, that's a great, great topic. Um, but yeah, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 25 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Matthew Travis. I'm also a certified financial planner and an advisor here at the firm. Yeah, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. You can go to our website um, at moneymd.net. Um, we have tons of, of resources there. We have all of our podcasts right there listed by um, by dates, but mm-hmm. but also we have all the category, all the uh, topics listed oh, nice. that you can search and you know we have hundreds of topics and shows that we've we've been doing this for a very long time as mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and uh so yeah you can find those right there on our website also you can link to us you can send us your questions we'd love to hear from you um and we'll talk about those right here on the show but we're going to start off here matthew with the financial fact of the week yeah and this is interesting this is uh looking back almost 30 years but it would take almost two thousand dollars in september of 2021 to have the same purchasing power as $1,000 in September of 1991. So just showing the power of inflation, the power of uh, money, things getting more expensive over time, $1,000 in 1991, $2,000 in 2021. So 30 years, it's doubled. So, you know, you you probably feel this, but things are getting more expensive. Yeah. And that's a pretty low inflation rate. That was a good, that was a low period of inflation, right? right? I mean, it does include, uh, you know, some this year. um, But, you know, if the next 10 years are are higher inflation, like you would normally expect, that was only probably two and a half, 2.2% inflation, maybe Mm -hmm. over the last 30 years. Um, we're experiencing twice that this year, as most mm. people know. So could be a lot worse. It could double in 15 years. Um, but that's a great fact. Yeah. yeah. Even doubling in 30 years just shows you like for retirement, you got to really factor in inflation mm. in your planning. Cause you know, if you have 
$80,000 of income day one in retirement, 20 years later, it's right. not going to be $80,000 of income. It's not going to feel like that. It's not going to feel like that. So you got to have more income. So, That's a good point. Yeah, inflation, very, very important. Interesting fact of the week. I love that. And that leads us up here to our first topic, Matthew. And this is talking about money and happiness. Um, and does having more money increase happiness? And this is based on an article from Advantis Investors very recently here, um, Hal Hirsch, Hirschfield. And, uh, you know, I do want to make a distinction. I mean, we're not talking about joy. We're not talking about, you know, contentment in life. I mm-hmm. mean, that comes from... You know, things like, you know, your spiritual life and, and from, you know, your purpose and, you know, and, and your family. Right. Um, there's a lot more to that. But we're talking about happiness, you know, and this is kind of the temporary feeling you get, you know, whenever something really good's going on in right. life. Right. And, um, you know, and, and there's this age old question, you know, or, well, first of all, we'll say there's an age old saying that mm-hmm. you can't buy happiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, And uh, I think most of us believe that um, that you can't really by happiness. Um, but most people do believe, I think, that having more money will bring more happiness, maybe just not complete happiness. Mm. Um, but is that even really true? Really is the question, you know, um, does having more money really increase happiness? Um, it's a great question. So we're going to explore that today. And the relationship between happiness and money is complicated. Um, so we're going to look at uh, a sampling of studies that explore the link between the dollars you earn and how happy you feel. Mm. Um, and so the first one was back in the early 1970s. You know, there was an economist, Richard Esterlin, um, who found that rich countries were no ha- happier than less well-off nations. But within the countries, he concluded there was a relationship between individuals' incomes and their happiness. Relative wealth was crucial to the contentment. Um, But uh, almost 30 years later, though, there was another economist or a group of economists, Stevenson and Wolfers, who reexamined Esterlin's findings by analyzing the data set more in more detail with far more countries and people. And they concluded um, there was a relationship between people's income and happiness um, not just within the countries, but between countries as well, at least according to the paper, more money does equal more happiness to a degree. And that's the point. Yeah. And, and so they use surveys. It's really interesting. They use surveys and they measured respondents' well-being by presenting a picture of a ladder with this guidance. So imagine a ladder with steps numbered from zero at the bottom to 10 at the top. Suppose we say that the top of the ladder represents the best possible life for you or the most happiness, and the bottom of the ladder represents the worst possible life for you. On which step of the ladder would you say you personally feel you stand at this time? And then the people would answer. But is this truly happiness? This ladder scale represents one of the ways to measure what researchers call life satisfaction. So it's essentially tapping into this overall happiness in life versus the temporary, how am I feeling today? Or how am I feeling uh, just in this instance. So they're trying to capture that overall life happiness. Yeah. And still, you know, I'd make the distinction. This isn't like true life joy, you know, <laughs> right, which right. comes from your spiritual life. And, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of components. But yes, I mean, it does tap into, you know, how content are you? 
um, kind of overall versus, you know, at the moment. And, you know, the more money may fuel happiness, but returns diminish, they show, mm. over a certain after a certain threshold. And it, so in 2010, um, <clears throat> there were two Nobel winning economists, um, Kahneman and Deaton, that decided to investigate the link between happiness, kind of the positive emotions you feel, and your wealth. Mm. And, um, you know, their surveys, they asked hundreds of thousands of people how happy they were uh, the previous day. And they kind of correlated that with their income. Mm. Um, through their surveys. And their findings were that happiness and income, they did track each other pretty closely up to about $75,000, interestingly enough. But the relationship fizzled after that. Um, And so the more money uh, did help fuel happiness only to a certain point. Uh, And you may have heard of this study because it was pretty popular back in 2010. So this was what, maybe, you know, 11, 12 Mm -hmm. years ago. But what you may not have heard of is that the research was challenged um, more recently, earlier this year, and there was a classic, the classic $75,000 finding um, that's kind of the threshold where it didn't equate mm-hmm. to more happiness. They challenged that, <clears throat> and they showed that it did rise a little bit more with income, um, but happiness tracked only income um, when it was compared in a logarithmic terms, meaning that the returns diminished substantially once you past that mm. certain threshold. In other words, each dollar you earn doesn't lead to a proportionate increase in the amount of happiness you experience. So after surveying um, the literature, the relationship between money and happiness, there was a group of psychologists that kind of observed that, okay, if more money isn't making you happy, perhaps there's a reason for it. Maybe you're not spending it right. Maybe you're not using your money mm. right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, if that's the case, how should you be spending your money more positively to impact your 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 happiness and contentment? Um, so they wrote a book on this called Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. And so here are a few of their main principles that came out of that book. Yeah, and this is this is really interesting. So and you may have heard of this as well, but buying experiences or turning things into experiences as well. Uh, it seems like a generational rallying cry for millennials buy experiences, not things. And to some extent, scientific research backs this statement. Some studies have shown that experiences often lead to greater happiness than material purchases. The research indicates experiences may surpass material things uh, for a couple reasons. Um, one being experiences are harder to compare than things. It's harder to say this trip was better or worse than this trip that my friend went on because there's different things in each of those experiences. Right. Another one is experiences are anticipated, felt, and remembered. They have a longer experiential uh, atmosphere than just a material item. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing was experiences are often inherently social. And you can think about a concert, you can think about a party you go to versus maybe just enjoying one item or a watch or a phone by yourself. So they're they're social in their components. So those three things, they're, they're saying that experiences may provide greater happiness than, than material things. Well, you're speaking my language, you know, because, <laughs> I mean, I love vacations right. and I love golf. Golf and, trips, you know, right. <laughs> right. So I I'm mean, sure you could think back on a couple golf trips that can. with I, more, you know, clarity than maybe something I, someone gave you 10 years ago. You know? I can. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, to me, experiences have always been more valuable than things. And it's because you think back on it. And also, I remember when I went to a Promise Keepers event one time, 
and I heard the 10 things my dad taught me kind of speech. Um, trying to remember the the guys, John, something that, um, that said that. And one of the things he said from his dad was his dad taught him was create warm memories, you know, warm Mm. memories for your children. And, uh, and that's always kind of stuck with me. You know, the warm memories, the experiences are a lot more lasting than, you know, stuff you give people. So, you know, so yeah, that really, that really resonates with me. Um, yeah. So, but what they're saying, you know, experiences are harder to compare than things, um, so with the prevalence of social media, you know, experiences have become kind of kind of the thing, um, so to speak, to compare. Um, nonetheless, experiences are, you know, social with kind of elements of what economists call anticipatory, uh, experienced and retro- retrospective. Um, so to expand kind of the popular sentiment of buying experiences, not things, they also say turn things into experiences as well, mm. which I think is a good advice. So after all, I mean, if experiences are better than material goods because of their ability to be social, anticipated, and felt and remembered, then why not apply that to the same those same principles mm. to the material things that you buy That's good. as well? Yeah. yeah, so if you need a TV, for example, you know, for your living room, um, maybe you could, it could just be another thing you buy, of course, and stick in your living room, or you could, you know, kind of do your best to anticipate the purchase, um, save the money for it, mm-hmm. you know, and then, um, you know, schedule a night with your friends to watch the big game once you get mm-hmm. it, you know, or maybe a movie night to That's really, right. really to celebrate the experience. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And another, another principle though, um, out of their book is, is to spend now and consume later. Yeah. And this is really, you know, uh, an interesting topic with the rise of credit cards and Venmo and Apple pay. It's easier than ever to succumb to instant and instant and artificial gratification where you buy now and pay later. Uh, This problem with being able to buy whatever you want, whenever you want, it is that it's a consumption that happens immediately, but payment happens at some later date. So with new services that I've personally never heard of, but it's called Afterpay, which allows users to spread payments for small and large purchases over time, mm. makes the temptation to consume now and pay later even worse. Because you don't feel you don't feel that. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it just makes you every turns everything into a monthly payment. That's yeah. just not good. Yeah, and, and then you know you're you're not delaying the gratification to say, hey, you know, we're working towards this goal to save up, and then it's this great experience. It's hey, I want it now. Let me go get it now. And it, it robs the joy. Uh, it robs the happiness of that purchase. Hey, you're paying for it forever. You right, know? Um, right. Yeah. So so what if you flip things around and you pay now and you consume later? You know, and that's the point they're making here. So in doing so, though, allows you to add some anticipation back into the purchasing process, you know, with the benefit of planning and decisions made in a cooler state, paying first you know, and then consuming later allows you to think more deeply about, you know, what you actually want and need. I mean, for example, when you pay in advance for a flight, a hotel, or a rental car, you're paying now and you're consuming later. Of course, you know, not all purchases really, you know, allow you to do that. Um, You can, however, kind of game the system and you can save in advance for the big purchase with money in the bank ready to, to pay for it. And you can kind of reap the same psychological mm. benefits as paying now and consuming later. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so that's another way to do that. Another way, though, to turn your spending into more happiness is to buy time, they say, which I think is a great idea, too. So if a genie gave you the choice between having more money or having more time, which would you choose? 
You know, that's the question. I think if you're if you're wise and if you're older, more than likely you would choose the time component. Yeah, well, right. And it all depends on what your what your choices are, sure. right? I mean, life. If you have plenty of money, then you'd choose time and vice versa. You know, yeah. vice versa. If you have plenty of time, you'd probably choose money. But you know, that's the question that one UCLA researcher put to thousands of Americans. So even after considering the basic demographic factors and income, a clear pattern did emerge. He said people who value time over money were happier, and perhaps there's a reason, because more time can be spent in ways that are productive, social, or even create mm-hmm. experiences. Um, where does So where does the money come into the picture? Well, as the researchers found, spending money um, to buy time can boost, you know, your contentment over time. Yeah, and their work showed that people who were prompted to spend money on time-saving services subsequently experienced greater happiness versus having spent their money on things. This relationship between time-saving expenditures and improved well-being really does apply across the income spectrum, they found. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I mean, so putting these various pieces together suggests that income and happiness don't have to be such distant partners, you know. I mean, you you can couple the two together a lot closer um, and be more content in your purchases if you just do it intentionally um, in ways that, that do increase increase happiness yeah. with your money. So I thought it was very interesting, yeah, you know. Just, and there are a couple application pieces in there, I think, that, that are meaningful. Um, so anyway, that's a interesting topic and that leads us up here to our question of the week yeah and this is a we've gotten this a lot recently but yeah yeah this question is from a client it says the markets have done well and keep going up should i be concerned should i go more conservative in my portfolios um and i'll let you touch on this but you know one thing the, the short answer is you know because markets have hit new highs does not mean necessarily that they're going to go down immediately there is no correlation to say that we expect new highs in the markets, um, you know, throughout time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, markets go up three fourths of the time on average. Um, so they're they're, you know, in a in a decent market when you're not in a in a bear market. Um, they are hitting new highs very often, and so it's not unusual. Um, and I know it makes people nervous when markets are at those new highs, and and you keep hearing it on the news, but. Um, yeah, the truth is there's no correlation between new highs and and markets taking a correction mm-hmm. or a bear market. Um, so I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, you know, you, you just have to invest for the long term. You cannot time it. There is absolutely no way to time it, even when, you know, you feel like we're in a bubble and there's mm-hmm. all this negative stuff out there. You got to resist that urge. You got to be in a portfolio that you're comfortable with, that That's you right. know you can ride out those ups and downs. That's right. And, and just, you know, turn off the news if that's what you need to do. But you got to be able to control that emotion of uh, wanting to, to, to bail out. To get in or out. Yeah, yeah. get in or out. And, uh, yeah, those feelings do come about whenever you keep hearing over and over again, oh, we're at new highs, incredibles, you know, high price mm-hmm. for the Dow or the S&P mm-hmm. or whatever stock you're, you're looking at. So great question, though. Um, but yeah, stick to your long-term strategy. That's right. That's our prescription for that. Yeah. All right, and that brings us up our, to our next topic here, and that is, um, you know, things to discuss, financial topics for the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is uh, this is an interesting one: coronavirus, politics, vaccines. <laughs> you know, there's there have recently been um, some doozies that you may not want to talk about at 
the dining room table uh, at Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe your first holiday after an extended period of social distancing. So, you know, there, there probably have been some interesting development and in d- developments in your family's lives. So exploring that, um, you know, can be, can be a disaster in some instances it can be, or it can be a comedy, you know, depending on how, uh, your family reacts to these questions. Um, but yeah, these are going to be some really good examples of items you can discuss around Thanksgiving that, uh, may be quote unquote safe for your family to discuss. Yeah, that's right. We won't be talking about football at my house because <laughs> we're not so happy with that. But uh, uh, may, not, may not be a positive one. <laughs> that's right. But uh, but hey, gratitude is always a great thing to discuss at the Thanksgiving table, right? I mean, that is what the season's about, and and it does apply to finances as well um, at Thanksgiving. So don't forget to focus on you know what the holiday's about. Um, it's a natural time to count your blessing, and that includes you know being mindful of what you already have and you know, how the Lord has blessed you with, you know, just good finances um, and with with meeting your needs. I mean, through a pandemic, no less. Um, So, you know, there's a lot to be thankful for. um, And from a financial perspective, being grateful for what you already have can reduce stress and um, can allow you to kind of avoid the spending traps, you know, with with all the holidays and Black Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, then, you know, you just want to be thankful and grateful for everything you have. And I think it's a great time to do that over Thanksgiving. And, and um, you know, uh, certainly this is a year to be thankful for that because things could have gone really south a year and a half ago yeah. whenever we started this pandemic. And financially, most people have come through it pretty well. Yeah, that's right. And that's what this next one is, is financial accomplishments. They are always worth celebrating, but they're especially sweet after, you know, what we've been through in in the last year and a half. Many Americans have faced financial hardships during the pandemic, but others were able to take advantage of a forced reduction in spending. They weren't able to spend their money. Uh, Whatever you were able to accomplish, small or large, take a moment to recognize what you've achieved. Maintaining employment, not getting behind in your bills, refinancing a home, all of these are wins. A year into the pandemic, 53% of Americans said that their financial situation had improved when compared to the previous year. This is according to a Pew Research uh, Center study. Uh, So why not take time around the Thanksgiving table to recognize the financial goals that you and your family uh, were able to recognize, to realize? Uh, family members were able to increase 401k contributions, uh, purchase a home, um, get out of debt. All of these should be celebrated with with people who love you the most. Um, yeah, and, and also this is a good time to instruct kids if you have kids that are at home, uh, celebrating those wins and teaching them, hey, this is what it looks like to manage money well. That can This can be a great time for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Another one that Kiplinger mentions here is referral for financial professionals. Um, that sounds a little self-serving for us, but uh, hey, this is Kiplinger's idea. But yeah, I mean, if you have financial goals with which you can you can use, you know, guidance, um, this is a great time, you know, with your family to ask them whether or not they would, you know, they can recommend a financial professional who can help. Um or for you to recommend to them, you know, a financial professional who can help. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of financial decisions being made this time of year and, and you know, coming out of this pandemic about whether or not to retire or mm. maybe whether or not to buy a new house or move or purchase a piece of property. Um, you want to get help for those kind of decisions. You don't want to take those on your own. And so, 
you know, when you're having those discussions about what your family is doing and, you know, what's going on in their lives and how things are changing and big decisions they're making, um, you know, maybe it's a good time to give them a, a, a referral or, in your case, ask for a referral if you're one of those people making those decisions and, and get some financial help, you know. I mean, maybe it's a CPA, mm-hmm. maybe it's a an accountant or a, an attorney, um, or maybe it's a financial planner, you know, or advisor, but just, you know, the, the good time to talk about and share the good experiences you've had and people you work with that mm-hmm. can help you make smart decisions. Yeah, that's a good one. Another one is charitable giving. It's always a good time to, to give, but, you know, around the holiday season it is especially wonderful time to discuss end of year charitable giving plans uh, with either, you know, individual members or your whole family. As in the last year, you can get a deduction for charitable contributions made in 2021, whether you itemize or not. If you do itemize, the contribution limit is higher than usual. You can actually deduct up to 100% of your AGI for donations to qualified charities. This includes donating used cars, um, which are especially important now as there are fewer used cars on the markets and you may get a higher value for your donation. Um, You can also donate appreciated stocks to charities and you can deduct the current value of the securities without having to pay capital gains for their uh, for their appreciation. And you can also um, talk with your family about donating their required minimum distributions from their uh, pre-tax accounts. And it's called a QCD, Qualified Charitable Distribution. So, I mean, just having conversations about charitable giving, year-end giving, uh, this is a good time to do that. Yeah, great topic for Thanksgiving because, you know, it's a time of year to do that. And, um, you know, a lot of charities can certainly use the help. So <clears throat> good thing to discuss. And then another one here is estate planning, you know, and while this might not be a topic, you know, for right at the table, maybe mm-hmm. you want to do it in person one-on-one, you know, after you leave the table, um, they're a great, it's a great opportunity when you see family and friends um, to, to talk about estate planning and just kind of help, you know, check on, you know, whether your parents and others have, you know, your siblings have made plans for, um, you know, their estate and have their, everything in order. Um, if there's nothing we've learned through the pandemic is that, you know, we, we are all mortal mm. and, you know, there will be a day when we have to pass on what we have to, right. <clears throat> to our loved ones and our children. And so it's an important conversation to have. And, you know, especially if somebody volunteers, I mean, what they've done to be better prepared for the unexpected, I think it's a great thing to share at Thanksgiving and having an estate plan means that your family members can rest assured that their wishes will be carried out in the worst case scenario. Um, and so at a minimum, you know, estate plan should include a will, health care directive, um, health care proxy, you know, financial powers of attorney mm-hmm. for spouses. Um, and those who want or need additional, you know, financial support <clears throat> to um, want to provide support to loved ones might also consider life insurance policies or trust. Um, so there's a lot to consider there. And estate planning is kind of an important, a big and very important piece of the puzzle and it affects other family members. So it's a good thing to try to discuss when you're around family. Yeah. So, you know, these are just five quick topics, but, you know, having financial conversations does not have to be awkward, especially if you uh, stick to the broad topics like we've discussed. Uh, The more you talk about money as a family, the more comfortable 
uh, you will be discussing it going forward, which means you can tackle some more of the difficult money conversations in the future. So yeah, just some really interesting topics you can talk about around the turkey. Yeah, and it's such a great, it's going to be a great Thanksgiving because, you know, finally we're coming out of this pandemic yep. and I think people feel, you know, most people are vaccinated. They feel more free to really enjoy the time with family. That's right. So, you know, go out there and really enjoy it and have a great time with your family and really appreciate the reason for the season. That's you right. know, I mean, things to be thankful for that, you know, we've survived, you know, or most most people have survived the pandemic, you know, and and just be thankful for what you have, yeah. um, what the blessings we've all been given. So, all right, great topic. And that leads us up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. And that is, Matthew, you know, it's time to get serious about Christmas shopping. Um, <laughs> and not just because, you know, we like to go shopping or because Black Friday's coming up. But you should take advantage of the sales. And the, uh, we all know there are great sales around Black Friday mm-hmm. and um, around Thanksgiving. Um but also because supplies are very limited this year, hmm. um, you know there, you know there is there are supply shortages out there, and the the shelves will be unusually bare when you get toward Christmas. So hmm. you want to make your list, um, have a budget, know what you're going to spend, and go ahead and get with it because you know you don't want to wait till mid December and and be trying to buy things. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're just not going to be there like they normally are. So Mm -hmm. it's time to get serious about your shopping. Gosh, it's so early though. (laughs) It does seem way early, but at the same time, well, you know, if people do think about around Thanksgiving with Black Friday anyway, but make it, make your list, make your budget, know what you're going to spend so you don't blow the budget and, and then, and then get out there and just get organized and get out there and get it. Because like I said, you know, I mean. You know, the, the, the things you really want right. might not be there um, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and it'll come up, you know, sooner than we than we realize. You know, I heard Christmas music already. Yeah. You know, isn't that? It is weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, walked, like... I was in the house and Kathy was singing Christmas music the other day. And that's probably because she has this singing she... a Christmas concert here uh, coming up. Okay. She's practicing. She was practicing, She's practicing, but still it just kind of caught me off guard. I'm like. It's November. I'm like, it's not even <laughs> Thanksgiving yet, honey. I mean, well, it's that's a little funny. early to be singing she Christmas was, carols. Yeah, amen. But yeah, she was practicing it's, and I was like, okay, I can yeah, get into that spirit. It's going to be here before we know it. Before you know it. Yeah, the holiday yeah. season is fun time. It comes right. quickly. All right, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health and check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Um, you can link to us there, send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 